Hello, and welcome to the Project Good podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For January, we're focusing on the topic of leadership in a remote world. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Henry Cooper, who is a business professor at Grand Canyon University in Arizona and an online professor for Centura College in Virginia. Dr. Cooper's courses and research focus on business management and operations, strategic management and leadership and organizational development. In addition, Dr. Cooper has been a business consultant for almost 19 years, helping healthcare service providers give better service to patients by having more strategic plans and systems in place. His most recent publication, LMX Quality, Organizational Commitment, and RN Turnover Intention, a Correlation Examination of Leadership Exchange Influence, looks at the role leadership plays in employee retention. Let's get into the interview. First, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Henry Cooper, who is the founder of the Leadership Matters More, a consulting business that helps reshape the workplace culture. He advises organizations and its leaders on how to create a motivating, engaging, and knowledge-retaining workplace and workforce. As an expert in organizational development, Dr. Cooper also shares his knowledge as a business professor at Grand Canyon University in Arizona and as an online professor for Centura College in Virginia. Dr. Cooper's courses and research focus on business management and operations, strategic management, leadership, and organizational development. At the core, Dr. Cooper believes that leaders make or break organizations and employees. Welcome, Dr. Cooper. Thank you, Anne. How are you? Great. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. So I always like to ask someone why they started doing what they were doing. Um, So what inspired you to study leadership? Uh, Moving from the normal workplace environment as an operating room scrub technician to uh, a leadership role at a, a hospital in San Diego, California, I found myself immersed in an environment that I was only trained for from a military standpoint. Um, the leadership structure in the military is firm, it's in place, and it's operational. It is not, however, flexible, meaning that transferring that knowledge from the military to the private workforce becomes a bit problematic. So as I worked my way through different leadership positions, in various organizations, I found that there were disconnects between leaders, followers, and the organizational goals that those companies wanted to achieve. So I set myself to study as much as I could, perform research as much as I could, and I continue to do so. And that's what led me to be where I am today, uh, looking at leadership in a way that I can help people to understand how they can make their operations and their businesses function better. 
Yeah, that, that's an interesting path that you took uh, um, to go from a very, um, uh, I would say, I guess, a structured organization, the military, um, and then to uh, utilize everything, kind of everything that you saw and start to uh, take it into, I guess, uh, the civilian world. I think so. I, I think it was very, uh, it was foundational for me. Let's put it that way. I think that that having the military as a backdrop, I could see where structure was needed, and I could also see where adaptability was needed. So the transference from military to civilian actually demonstrated that there is a, a large amount of adaptability required in leadership, and it doesn't matter at that point whether you're in the civilian or in the military world. So. Now that you've become uh, an, an expert, um, one of the things I was reading as I was preparing for this for the interview, a little bit about you. Um, I know sometimes uh, people are like, "Oh, you know, like you found out this about me." Um, that uh, uh, you have um, obviously, you're telling me now that uh, that uh, you know your background is that you were um, working already in the um, healthcare field from the uh, military, and um, I'm going to assume that you liked it, um, and so that's why it has led you. Um, as I see, as I was uh, researching for um, you know almost 19 years now, that you are uh, most of the businesses that you consult um, are dealing with health healthcare or pharmaceutical. Um, and so um, I guess in that, uh, in our topic today, uh, especially during these times of COVID, and uh, I know that uh, uh, just from uh, even it's an, an outsider perspective from the healthcare, I know that they aren't doing as, rem as remote because doctors and nurses and things, uh, you know, uh, tend to um, have uh, uh, to be in the hospital. So um uh, but um, with the, the rise of this uh, health crisis, I'm sure that you are facing uh, an interesting time, as uh, I'm sure most that uh, a lot of um, doctors and nurses are trying to figure out how can they make their jobs remote <laughs> as well, just uh, because uh, of everything um, uh, happening. Uh, absolutely. I, I think that there are some misconceptions uh, related to uh, healthcare and healthcare leadership. Uh, healthcare leadership is really comprised of individuals who are not engaged in the clinical environment necessarily. Now, there are many clinical uh, performers who also act in an administrative role, but those administrative and staff positions are positions that uh, have changed and, and morphed into more of a remote environment. Um, there are many physicians and physician practitioners who are moving to platforms like telehealth, um, there, I won't name any so that I'm, I'm not advocating for any particular brand, but, but telehealth is a field that is rapidly growing and bringing physicians and nurses on board so that they can actually uh, deliver care to patients without physically touching them. That also opens a, a larger world to those patients who don't have access to uh, great clinical care. Uh, there are specific instances where telehealth will not work, but in most senses, it does. Which is fantastic during these times, especially. Um, 
And that kind of leads us into our larger discussion um, that we're looking about uh, leadership in a remote world. Uh, just to, before we uh, jump in a little bit deeper, um, obviously everybody has experienced the pandemic, um, but one of the things that people might, might not have uh, been privy to is that uh, since 2019, the number of people who are working from home has actually um, risen by 159%. Uh, so uh, remote work and um, people uh, starting to not work from uh, uh, an office uh, was already on, the, uh, on an uprise um, before we even uh, entered this uh, crisis. And um, another uh, interesting uh, tidbit I found as I was uh, researching is that um, uh, globally, actually, that there are it was a, a smaller percentage than I um, than I, I thought, but it was still um, uh, a good percent. Uh, Sixteen percent of companies are uh, globally are fully remote. Um, so they uh, never had offices um, and that um, and now with um, uh uh, COVID, um, and this uh, number, of course, might not be uh, current today as uh, things uh, literally, as we know, um, change uh, uh, daily on the front, but 58.6% of workers um, are uh, doing uh, remote work due to uh, the COVID uh, crisis. And um, it's expected by uh, 2028 uh, that 73% uh, of all departments um, are expected to have uh, remote workers. And the reason that I bring up these stats is that um, a lot of people keep um, trying to uh, uh, say that they want to go back to uh, the way it was, like, can't we go back to normal before the pandemic? But um I, these uh, statistics are um, were already in place even before uh, remote work became the hot topic of uh, 2020 and 2021, um, that we were already moving away from, um, uh, I guess, uh, what was considered uh, the, the normal that we knew to a new normal uh, due to uh, technology and just, uh, uh, you know, society was changing. Um, the pandemic just, uh, I guess, brought it to uh, the forefront. And so um, my first question to you then um, is that uh, because of this, one of the things that uh, is a hot topic that I see on the news right now is uh, the uh, uh, the people talk about the great um, uh, resignation and um, change in the workforce. Um, do you think that uh, one of the uh, big things is because people don't understand that uh, that these changes were already happening? I, I do, and and I'd like to add um, that your statistics uh, mirror mine. Uh, 70% of the workforce uh, would like to or would prefer working from home. However, I don't know how much that affects the big quit or the great resignation. It has many labels. Um, but one of the things that I will say about that is that those numbers were rising, as you stated, prior to the pandemic. The problem that we see is that many people are looking at opportunities to change employers because there is a need. So the bigger question is, why is there a need? So to get to why there is a great resignation or a big quit, 
we need to dig deeper and find out why is there a need? Well, if you take a look at what the, what the Pew Research Center tells us in their research, employers have looked for profit. They've looked for that profit at the expense of the employee. Once you begin to show your true colors to employees and they have an opportunity to leave, they will. This lines up with my research uh, that I performed for my doctoral study. And I think that it's very difficult to convince people to come back to work or come back to the new normal when in fact we're asking them to come back at the same rate of pay that they had. Well, there is a good chance that there is another employer out there who's trying to offer them more. And it's that conundrum that keeps us in this cycle of people being employed, people leaving employment, and seeking new employment. In other words, going to the highest bidder. There is a place for where that will stop. And where that will stop won't necessarily be our new normal, but it will establish some guidelines for how employers will treat and need to treat employees moving into the future. Well, how would you say that uh, employers and companies can now attack, uh, uh, attract uh, uh, top employees? Well, one of the ways that uh, that I engage my clients is I try to get them to understand that engaging employees is even more important than paying high salaries. An employee who is engaged, an employee who buys into the company, uh, is much more likely to remain even if financial remuneration is even or equal. In other words, they may not be getting paid more, but they're bought into the mission of the organization. So employee engagement, especially employee engagement with the leadership team, with the executive team, with the strategic design that the organization has in place, that engagement is what will change what the new normal becomes. Now, do you think that... Um that actually people's values changed because of the pandemic? Or do you think that the values were still, were they the same? It just became, uh, you know, I guess uh, heightened or? Well, I, 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 I hear your question and I will say that it's always difficult to speak on the values of another person. But okay. what the data tells us what the data actually says is that the pandemic has created, um, it's created a new atmosphere. Um, so that atmosphere leaves employees in a, a very emotive state. That state can affect someone's decision-making, and it can also affect their value to the organization. So we, we're speaking of values in two senses here. One sense is the value of the employee to the employer and the value of the employer to the employee. There is a rising social consciousness, as we all know, and it is playing a, a, a very vital role in change 
throughout the world. The way that we look at social issues, the way that we look at the social consciousness, the things that are happening in our society on an almost day-to-day -day basis, those things are the values that we kind of talk about, but we don't really know without speaking to an individual how that affects his or her choices when it comes to work. Economic inequality is one of the largest indicators of how employers lack value from their employees. And the decisions that are made in the big quit and the big resignation are the answer that employees give to employers based on that economic inequality. Now, you you brought up the fact that there's going to be a sense of like a give and take both from employees and employers in the uh, in regards to what is uh, required of uh, both of them. I guess, can you elaborate, I guess, from both sides of what will be required of employees in the future um, in this new, uh, I guess, uh, remote um, type of work situation or, um, uh, you know, where we're heading for the future of work? Um, and also from the aspect of what um, would be required from employers? Well, I, that, that's a very interesting question and one that I'm currently researching, actually, for um, a new piece. Um, employees want and require certain things. And some of those things happen to be things that have been desirable for quite some time. Of course, they want to be compensated for the value that they give to the company. They also want to feel like they're a part of the company. If we took that, that value conversation to a larger sense, everyone wants to belong. When we talk about bullying, when we talk about all of these social issues that children uh, and young people go through, they go through those things because they're not valued by their peers. They're not, they're, they're not communicating well with those people who are in the same space and place that they are. So employees really want to belong. And that belonging is demonstrated through employers demonstrating, and not just talk, but demonstrating to employees that they belong to something. They're a part of the mission. They're a part of the vision. They're a part of the engagement activities that that organization does to help employees reap benefits beyond financial compensation into successful delivery of whatever the product or processes are in that organization. <clears throat> Conversely, employers Employers must begin to, they have to engage employees, but they have to engage employees in a different way. Performance management changes have to change. Expectation measures have to change. The way we measure performance has to change. But first of all, it's got to be engagement. And that engagement has to come from the leader. That engagement is how a leader interacts with a follower. Uh, Fred Dantereau stated many years ago that <clears throat> the, what this dyadic treatment does is it creates an in-group and an out-group. Well, 
since we know that that's something that is a derivative based on his research, perhaps leaders or employers need to engage at a level where they have a consummate relationship with each one of their employees in a way that they don't feel that they're in the out group or they don't create an out group. And it's through that engagement, it's through those enhancing those performance measures and changing the expectations and measures that employers will be able to move forward and engage employees in the future. I guess, um, like in my mind, I can see, um, you know, different ways that that could be done. Um, I think for me, the thing uh, just from working from a number, working for a number of companies in the past, I've always found that sometimes, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, people in the leadership team, um, and I, I, I unfortunately saw this uh, <laughs> uh, personally as uh, being uh, sometimes uh, part of that leadership uh, team, that uh, even after, um, you know, t- telling someone that you had to um, uh, make the employees feel um, engaged or that uh, essentially uh, some relatable, um, that uh, leadership still struggled um, to be able to do that uh because they didn't, they still didn't understand. Uh, do you have like a specific examples that you could give, like uh, how uh, real liter- real leadership looks in an organization? Sure. Um, <clears throat> we have all heard about the the new leader. Uh, I, I'll mention Tony Heisch. Uh, I'll mention some of those folks who have given. Uh, part of their multi-million dollar salary back to their staff, back to their employees. And those companies, and I'm speaking specifically about Zappos, have demonstrated that not only is it possible for a leader to reach employees, to share with employees, but it's also possible for a leader to demonstrate to employees that their performance, their engagement, their contribution to the bottom line is not only going to be appreciated with a a, a nice little gift, but that you're going to become a part of the company. You will get profit sharing. You will get, you will do as well as we do. In the age of uh, CEOs generating profit for organizations at the expense of employees, uh, and a specific example of that would be Circuit City several years ago, Uh, The CEO basically ran the company bankrupt because he was out to generate profit. You see, his profit or his multi-million dollar profit was based on performance. Well, that performance meant I need to spend less in in terms of my expenses and continue to sell. So what he did is he decided that he would replace all of the people who were responsible for those that selling. He would replace an entire group of people, approximately 2,500 people, who were well-paid because they were working on commission, but those were the people who kept that organization going. He replaced them with 2,500 new employees who had no experience, but he didn't have to pay them any money. He didn't even pay them minimum wage. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> what was that? 
And I said, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what makes it, what makes it wow. uh, more poignant is that not only did he drive the company into bankruptcy, but he also took the $25 million bonus because he showed on the books, he showed that he generated a profit simply by cutting expenses because he got rid of those people who were generating the income for the company. So all of that revenue that he showed was generated by those people whose jobs he cut, and he replaced them with people who could not perform at that level. And in, in two to three years, Circuit City was, was bankrupt. Mm, that's horrible. <laughs> well, it, 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 it is horrible. And I think a lot of people look at it that way. I try to look at it a little bit differently. We have to understand that real leadership is a motivational function. It's not a position. It's not a driving force. It's a motivational force. What gets you up in the morning? What makes you want to go to work? What engages you in the job that you've chosen to do? So if a leader were to look at his or her role in that light, it would have been impossible for them to, if they looked at what was actually driving the revenue of the company, it would have been impossible for many leaders to look at that and say, I can get rid of this group of people who are generating this amount of income because maybe I won't make my $25 million bonus, but the company will be around 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now as opposed to looking at it and saying, I'm going to get my $25 million bonus, and I don't really care what happens to the company in two years. Would you say that um, is leadership that's something that you learn or something that you're born with? It's both. Uh, that's a, that's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting question, Anne-Marie, because so many people, uh, especially when you sit down with a group of leaders who are potentially going to employ you, and what I mean by employ you is they're going to engage in your consulting activities. Uh, many people in that room believe that they're born leaders. Mm -hmm. You know, they're born because their fathers were leaders, their mothers were leaders. Uh, they were raised in a family full of leaders. So they should be leaders. And then you have those people, uh, Colin Powell, prime example, who comes from a very humble beginning and raises himself to a, a very high level, um, he was not born a leader. He, did, he had a stutter. He didn't even believe he could be a leader, but he became a leader. So th there is no answer to that. It's, that's a very chicken and egg sort of conversation because what drives one person may not drive another. It's the motivation that an individual has to achieve success that identifies who the best leaders are. Because the best leaders will recognize that I need to adapt. In order to overcome, I need to adapt. If it means that I engage my employees, that's what I have to do. I can't sit in my, my catbird seat up on top of the mountain and watch everybody work. I have to get down there with the people, help them, give them motivation, show them where we're going, because it's that vision. Leadership has to provide that vision, that vision. But it's also an engagement because you have to put yourself 
where the people are and let them know that they're a part of you and you're a part of them. I guess you think that we got to this um, uh, kind of, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I'm looking for a different word. I want to say kind of a, a distance or um, uh, where people kind of, um, a, a, a kind of a classism in, in leadership. I guess, did we get here? Uh, do you think uh, just because of uh, uh, where society was going or uh, or has uh, or have people have always always seen themselves as like leaders, uh, people who are uh, leading or in one uh, category and then everybody else is workers? Um, I guess what made us what makes us uh, in this society have that mentality? Well, there are many things that have led us to where we are. And in order to understand where we are, we, we could probably take a short trip back to the beginning. When in the early instances of man and civilization, we were hunter-gatherers and we realized that only the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest could outwit the animals or could bring food home or could figure out ways to acquire goods well, those people became leaders, and they became leaders based on their individual qualities and characteristics. We've carried that forward through many, many, many generations, and we still have people who live off the, the actual accomplishments of people who are no longer alive. So a good example in our current society is that um, movie stars or celebrities or musicians all have the expectation that their children will be movie stars or celebrities or musicians, when in fact they may not have that talent at all. And I think that it's very difficult for a child, and we can see that in the exacerbation of uh, some of the things that happen to the children of celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, very few of them are as successful as their parents, mm -hmm. and that creates another disconnect because the expectation is that they will be. They have it in their blood when in fact there is no blood. There is no no leadership blood that passes through from one to the other. Uh, and without being repetitious, I, I just want to say that every individual must be motivated and they must be motivated to the point that they are willing to put themselves out there to make a change from a social standpoint, from a professional standpoint, and from an environmental standpoint. Yes, I'm glad that you brought up the environmental standpoint um, as uh, we head closer and closer to 2030. <laughs> I feel like we're in a, one of those uh, uh, sand timers. Yeah. Um, now, uh, turning a little bit more, um, now that more and more that we're heading into, uh, re remote work, do you think that leadership is becoming, uh, more or less important? I don't know that leadership is more or less important. I think that leadership is another change that must occur because one of the things that we have to understand is what does leaders do? What do leaders do? What is leadership for? Leaderships are there to provide vision. In other words, every person who is a leader is not necessarily someone who has a vision. However, mm -hmm. 
that vision for every organization should come from its leadership. Now, that creates some very difficult circumstances for a lot of people. If you took over your father or your mother's business, would you have the same vision that your mother or father had when they started that business? There's no right or wrong answer to that, but there is a, a situation where we have to examine the motivational basis that everyone has for being a leader. And I, I hate to keep saying this over and over again, but I really think it's important and it's something that I emphasize when I, I speak with clients and when I speak with students. If we don't understand our motivations, if we don't understand what makes us go, we can't share the, that motivation and we can't inspire or create a vision that we can share with our employees or that we can share with the general public to entice them to participate in whatever it is we happen to be buying or selling. Yes. So then this is just my conclu conclusion. Do you think that a lot of ship <laughs> problems are because there's a lot of people who don't have a lot of vision? <laughs> I, I, I think that as a whole, um, there are many, many instances in our society and globally, actually, where there are people who have vision and those who don't have vision, how can I say this? They choose not to participate because they can't be equal. Does that make sense? They, they, they choose not to exhibit vision or place mm -hmm. vision in a in a position where it's a driver because they don't have it. Right. So I, I don't know that there is a way to give someone a vision. If you don't have it in you, no one can put it in you. Does that make sense? They can't give it to you. You can't buy it or sell it. You yes. have to know it. Um, mm -hmm. a, a very good example of that is Elon Musk. Elon Musk is continuously driving himself. He's the richest man in the world. Well, as of last week, I don't know if that's still true, but he's, <laughs> he's the richest man in the world and he's still creating. He's still innovating. He's still coming up with new ideas. And I'm absolutely certain that as you and I speak here today, there are ideas that he have. There are things that have motivated him to make another change or jump to the next project because he's motivated to continue his path. His journey doesn't end with an electric vehicle. His, his journey doesn't end with a hyperloop. His journey doesn't end with a trip to outer space. There are things in the pipeline right now. We're talking about batteries for EVs. He's trying to revolutionize batteries. Those things have not come to fruition yet, but he continually presents a vision of the future that indicates that he will continue to operate at a very high level. There are others, many others, uh, uh, who practice the same thing. Uh, Warren Buffett is a very good example of someone from the old school who is continually looking at ways to make life better, not only for himself, 
But for those people who are interested in listening to his predilections, his prognostications, um, th those are all the types of things that I think we, we have to look for in our leaders. And the, the number one thing, and I hope that this part is, is, is really evident, we must ensure that leaders have integrity. Mm -hmm. Without integrity, none of the things that we talk about really matter. If you have someone in a position of power, in a position of authority, or a leader who does not have integrity, you have no way to predict what will come in the future. Because if they're willing to do anything, they will do anything. And that anything will mean disaster to a bunch of people, a bunch of people. And I'm not talking about uh, any particular one, but it's something that we really need to understand. And, and there is no uh, there is no gaining your integrity back once you've lost it. Uh, it. It's not a book. You can't get it back from the library. It's it's gone. And you really need to make some some uh, sincere effort to make sure that you don't lose it. Hmm. That one is a good one. Uh, you know, um, that is something I think I have uh, uh, actually haven't heard very often from people is that uh, once you lose your integrity, you cannot get it back. Um, well, I have one more for you, Anne-Marie, that I, I think I would love for the general public to hear. And, and it's something that I say quite often to my students. I heard this a number of years ago from a, a nurse leader that I worked with back in San Diego. And she got it from another uh, professor that she worked with who was actually a healthcare administrator. And it goes like this. We must all be careful of the problems that we create from our solutions. So we can't just say, oh my goodness, I, I know the answer to this, until we've thought through things to the point that we can see the future. We can see what the outcome is. Because without seeing that, we may in fact be creating even bigger problems. Wow. Yes, you, you've hit on some like uh, ser seriously uh, core things that I think that people try to, in general, brush over in the society. Um, you know, uh, a vision is ex extremely important, and uh, there are very few people <laughs> that have real visions. Um, and integrity, I think, especially in these times, <laughs> across the whole entire world, um, integrity is uh, definitely in, in trouble. Um, you know, uh, I would say integrity and responsibility. Uh, people hate to use the word uh, responsibility these days. Absolutely. Um, so, yes. And then um, and then being able to, uh, you know, um, think before jumping and, and think about um, to think about others. <laughs> Essentially, this is the 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 well, it's more than the golden rule. I was going to say the golden rule, but it's more than the golden rule. <laughs> it, it's, it's the platinum rule. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, this is uh, important for people to to hear, not only um, because of the fact that we are now in this remote environment, but we are 
Um, we're up against something uh, that's coming up greater than the pandemic. <laughs> so we really need to think. <laughs> so we need to think and our leaders need to think. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm always reluctant to use that word because there are so few of them out there. However, we have people that we placed in positions of authority. And whether we choose to call them leaders or not is, you know, it's up to us individually. But we have placed people in positions of authority. And those are the people that I cry out to. Those are the people that I want to meet with. Those are the individuals. I don't meet with a, a department in a hospital or in a healthcare setting. I want to meet with the CEO and the executive team. Those are the people who are setting the strategic vision. Those are the people who are sitting down and deciding, well, this is our mission statement and this is our vision statement, and it aligns with our strategy because there is nothing wrong with making money. Conscious capitalism mm -hmm. has demonstrated that if, whether we're in a remote environment or we're in an on-ground environment, we can make money and still be decent. We can make money and still take care of each other. That those companies, Walmart, uh, not Walmart, I'm sorry, Starbucks, Walmart, um, a few of those, Amazon, they practice conscious capitalism. And for those interested in understanding what conscious capitalism is, I'll be posting an article on my website soon. But I hope that this podcast will get people thinking about what is it we need to do to change the course of where we're headed. Because it's not where we are, it's where we're headed. Yes, we're in the danger zone. <laughs> I'm thinking that because of there's so much, um, I guess there's so many directions that uh, that leaders are trying to, uh, or people who are uh, put in leadership positions are trying to uh, push in a society. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, uh, especially during these times, people want to talk about, oh, you know, we're going to be, uh, we focus on mental health. Um, we let uh, people have a, a week off to, you know, recover. Um, uh, let's see, uh, I don't know, we're doing, I'm making this one up, we're doing something nice for your kids. So there's a lot of, uh, people trying to show leadership by doing these, um, nice gestures. Um, I guess, uh, overall, do you, do you see those as being, um, uh, effective or are they just, uh, just nice deeds? I, I think that, we have to look at human civilization in a whole sense. In other words, there is nothing that a drop of water won't change. It's tiny. It's just a drop. These gestures are tiny, but they make a difference. They make a difference to someone. They make a difference to some event. They make a difference to some something that will affect someone. So each and every instance of kindness that we can generate and share can't do anything but help us. It can't do anything but make us better. It can't do anything but better our society. That's a, um, a good way to look at it because I've had uh, people that I've talked to um, look at it uh, either of like it's not enough or um, 
or uh, that's great. So um, I love your perspectives. Well, I'd, I'd like to challenge those folks to tell me what is enough. And if mm -hmm. you can tell me what is enough, where do you start? If you don't start with the smallest inkling of something, it means you haven't started. So until you start, you can't go anywhere. You're still in the same place. Mm -hmm. Now this issue, I'm just going to touch on it briefly, just because um, I, I'm bringing it up because it is another um, hot topic that's out there. Um, is that uh, in this new um, remote uh, working world, of course, there's always um, groups that are uh, at dis uh, get uh, disadvantaged. Um, do you think that uh, now that we're doing uh, more um, work remotely and things remotely, uh, do you think this will be um, offer kind of a safety haven uh, for those that deal with uh, gender issues or racial issues? I, I, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I was reading something several weeks ago about the impacts of work from home statistics on other people, and I call others people who are not work from home or remote employees. So in that, there is a breakdown of diversity changes. And it does not appear from the research that I'm finding, uh, basically this is from Statistica, it does not appear that hybrid work has changed any of the diverse, diverse components or diversity components in our workforce. It would, it would seem that if all things were equal, that would be the case. But it just doesn't appear that we see those changes happening, at least not yet. I, I firmly believe that over time, uh, people will become more enamored with work from home, with telecommuting. And as we can see now, there are only 5.7 million employees in the United States workforce that telecommuted for half time. Now, 5.7 million out of 300 million is not a lot. That's mm -hmm. less than 4.2%. But what does that mean in terms of how it's broken out from a diversity standpoint? We have to focus more energy on reaching those diverse elements of our society and ensuring that they're a part of this change. Now, whether or not they have the skills is a question, whether or not they have the desire, whether or not they have the expertise that's required to do this type of work, those are other questions that face us and sort of break out again over the uh, issues of diversity or the issues of being more inclusive. And I think that without facing them, we have to understand that bias, is, it exists everywhere. So it doesn't matter if you like Cheerios or Honey Bunches of Oats. Every time you make a choice, every time you make a decision, it's based on some type of bias. 
So we can't take bias and say, well, you're you're a racist, so you're biased, or you're you're prejudiced against this group, or you treat this group differently because you're biased. That's not bias. That's racism or sexism or genderism. Bias is something that we all experience. Bias is something that we all need to understand more of because there's a difference between bias and racism. There's a difference between bias and sexism. There's a difference between bias and genderism. So remote, remote workers in this study actually stated that workplace hostility increased. <laughs> wow. Which, you know, would just sound unreal. But with a lack of control, because now you don't have a supervisor, a manager, or a leader who's there to make sure that these things don't take place in the workplace. They're all happening in a remote environment. Without extensive cybersecurity, there's no way that a company can prevent them from happening. So just because someone has a bias doesn't mean they're racist. But just because a, a person is working from home doesn't mean that the environment is open to a diverse population. I hope that answers the question. It did. Um, you know, I was... Uh hoping to see that it was either um, at, a, at a neutral state um, still. Um, but I could see, I guess, that uh, because you don't have someone actually there um, and that people are in, um, you know, uh, a more enclosed or uh, separated remote uh, uh, setting, you know, doing um, a conference call or something of that sort, um, that you don't have, uh, you know, people to witness um, the, the different things that could be happening to you um, from like a microaggression or, uh, you know, uh, uh, looks or something like that. Yeah, unfortunately, you're, you're absolutely on point. Uh, it's mm. trolls exist. And trolls were not a part of our society. They were not a part of our consciousness until the internet gave them the anonymity to be who they are, to be racist, to be sexist. They were given permission because of anonymity. That means that in a remote environment, without having the internet police, we are going to see those microaggressions. We're actually going to see aggression. The number of suicides has increased since we've moved to a more remote worker environment. Some people say it's due to isolation. Maybe isolation has something to do with it. But it could also be due to some of those aggressions and microaggressions, as you mentioned, uh, that people are experiencing that they can't report because how can you prove it? If it had occurred in an environment where there is not appropriate cybersecurity, then the employee has no way to do it other than report, <coughs> excuse me, and in reporting, where's the proof? So we don't see those things manifesting in the on ground environment as much, only because 
there's someone around who you can report to. It's human resources. It's your supervisor, your manager. There's another employee whose, whose cubicle happens to be next to yours, or there's someone who hears you in the break room. There were more opportunities for people to feel safer when they were in an on-ground environment than there are for them to feel safe in an online or remote environment. Hmm. That's disappointing to hear. Um, I was hoping that it would have uh, improved. Um, I did uh, uh, find that some of the um, biggest struggles that people, uh, the number one that uh, struggle that people were having with remote work was that uh, they couldn't unplug after work uh, because they had, you know, they were already home and they had been working and uh, sometimes it's hard to stop. Um, and then uh, the next, uh, I'm just putting the, the, the top three, uh, was the loneliness factor, because, of course, you're working alone. And then uh, other people, <laughs> I guess it's kind of going back to the classroom days, they miss talking <laughs> to other people at the water cooler. Yeah, so it, it, it's very interesting that you say that, um, because in the Pew Research Center study, 25% of remote workers stated they were less satisfied with their jobs than they were pre-pandemic. And a lot of that, and some of the things that are playing a part in the big quit or the big resignation, are that people do miss those things that happen in an on-ground environment. They miss the camaraderie. Uh, we've had a, a number of television shows that are based on what happens at the office. We, we all know what the water cooler means. You know, mm -hmm. these are things that people are very familiar with. And losing those things often means that people lose their connectivity. Uh, and that connectivity is not a digital connectivity, but it's a people connectivity. So as we look through what happened with the pandemic, there was less to do with work than there was people just losing the connectivity they had to those people that they worked with. They knew who they could talk to, who they could have lunch with, who they could hang out with, who they could go to the water cooler with. And they felt comfortable and safe with that. They knew who not to do those things with. But now they don't know. They're in a digital environment where they're looking at a computer screen and quite often they're playing video games on their computer because there's not enough cybersecurity provided by the employer or they're on Facebook and or some other social media platform where no one has a way to monitor what they're doing. Why? Why would they be doing this if they're at work? Well, they're doing it because they're not engaged in the work. They're not a part of the organization. And it doesn't matter if they're in a remote environment or if they're on ground. If they're not engaged, and that is the leader's role to provide a vision that engages employees in the company's strategic plan, you will have this type of a disconnect that continues whether we're remote or on ground. So what would be your, I guess, give me two to three suggestions that a leader could um, uh, you know, implement in a remote working or environment um, that might uh, help engage employees? Well, two, two things that I can think of right off the top of my head is leaders must learn engagement. 
Engagement is not a survey. Engagement is not getting your employees to answer questions. Engagement is about getting to know your employees. I, I, I want to take time out to mention a facility that I worked at, and I was so enamored at this leader because of one specific skill that he had. He has led um, probably six to seven, uh, I call them mid to major healthcare organizations around the country over the past 20 years. But when I met him, I was very new to the organization. In fact, I had just moved back to California. Um, and he met me at a leadership meeting. I had never met him. I did not. I was so new, I didn't even have a name badge on. But he walked up to me, he shook my hand, and he called me by my name. And I said, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And, and your name is, oh, I looked at his name badge, and it was the CEO. He <laughs> took the time to get to know every employee by photograph, by name, by past history, so that when he met them in their onboarding, they were immediately immersed into the organization because they were immersed in him. I went on to work with him for several years through several really large projects. We were able to get a bond passed by a city in California to build another hospital. So I, I think number one is leaders must learn ways to engage employees. The next is to change both the performance management expectation and the way we measure performance. Because if you understand what the expectations are when you take the job, and if you're highly motivated, your goal is to exceed those expectations. If you're motivated, if you're not, you're in the wrong job and it needs to be identified very quickly and the organization needs to move on. That means that number three, you need to have different performance management measures. You can't use a one-year evaluation to tell you whether or not this employee is engaged and is actually operating at a level that's gonna help your organization. You need to be able to tell that very quickly. And you also need to have policies in place that will allow you to move on if you have hired someone who's not engaged. If you've hired someone who wants to take up a seat, it's time to move on. So changing performance management measures, changing performance managers' expectation, and learning new ways of engaging leadership to employer or leadership to follower are three of the top skills that I think, tools that I think, activities that need to occur in organizations as we move forward, specifically in a remote working environment. Those are uh, good pointers that should help uh, some people out there that are uh, trying to make this uh, this switch. I hope so. <laughs> I think it's very helpful. 
So I've learned a lot. <laughs> um, so, um, so since we've learned a little bit about uh, what, uh, from an employee uh, perspective, from an employer perspective, and uh, we've looked out um, uh, just uh, uh, remote work, work in general, and uh, what uh, you know in general uh, people would uh, like, and how people are um, uh, moving forward to uh, more and more uh, remote work. Um, I'm going to ask you two more questions. One is, uh, I guess, what do you uh, envision the the future of work to look like, Ike? The future of work is as difficult to predict as it is simple to predict. Work will happen. Number one, work will happen. The question is, what type of work is it? As we continue to progress into a more and more digital environment, will people manage machines or will machines manage people? Will AI replace human thought or will humans maintain control over human thought? There are many things that we can do. But one of the things that we need to all go back to is to understand what is normal. I'm often struck by the migration of salmon from the sea back to their spawning grounds. These fish swim upstream for miles and miles against the current. They jump gigantic uh, reefs of water, rocks, all to get back to where they've been so that they can give birth to the next generation. You can spend a lot of time exerting energy to adapt to the old and not enough time exerting energy to create the new. More than likely, what we will see in the future and what we will see in the new normal, we will keep a part of the past, but we need to change our work environment, whether it's remote, on ground, or something that we don't even know yet. We need to maintain something of what we have. The only reason for salmon to swim upstream, to spawn, is that they go back to something that is familiar. And I believe that we, as humans involved in a workforce, need to make sure that we're holding on to what is valuable to us, what is viable, and what is necessary. Mm -hmm. Well put. So in conclusion, what is something about leadership that most people don't know? 
Something about leadership that most people don't know. I think I've touched on it before. Leadership comes from motivation. It doesn't come from training. It doesn't necessarily come from being given the, the reins to a company. It certainly doesn't come from birth. Leadership comes from being motivated to get something done. Whether we look at Sir Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, or Elon Musk, they all want to get something done. They want to create the next big thing. That next big thing happens to be outer space. They don't want to just fly people around in the upper atmosphere, a few miles above the Earth. They want to demonstrate and prove that normal people can travel beyond the Earth's bounds and still be fine. That is understanding how to create a vision. So neither one of those people were born into leadership. Did they become leaders? Yes. Yes, they did. Each one is different. But they all have one thing in common, and that is the motivation to achieve success. So to wrap up, I think that the one thing most people don't know about leadership and leaders is that motivation plays a much larger role in the success of a leader and the leadership that leader exhibits on their organization, whether remote or otherwise. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> um, thank you, Dr. Cooper, for your time and insight. Um, if people would like to know more about you, uh, where should they reach you? Uh, they can reach me on my LinkedIn profile. Um, that's one place. They can also go to HTTP uh, www.leadershipmattersmore.com or they can simply reach out to me at Grand Canyon University. That's henry.cooper at my.gcu.edu. And I really want to take this opportunity to thank you for inviting me. I uh, am just thrilled to get this opportunity and, uh, I hope that we have an opportunity to speak again soon. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or simply want to change minds, contact Project Good Work at projectgood.work to start your project of change today. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we are focused on what matters.